we've been watching a goofy clip every week during this series as we look at uh, what happens when we kick God out of our heads. We've said that it makes us out of our minds. And this are uh, the last installment of our series, If I Only Had a Brain. Certainly most of the people in that clip did, did not have a brain. Uh, but I want to start out with our anchor verse, Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We've said a number of times now that scripture tells us that we have the very mind of Christ. That's encouraging, isn't it? It's empowering. That our mental transformation is to take a specific form, and that is the mind of our Lord and Savior. This is good news. In a day and age where it seems like we're uh, too busy, we're addicted to some form of internet addiction, aren't we? And it's amazing how much culture has changed in the last 20 years, whether it's shopping or porn or uh, uh, social media or you name it, entertainment. We can only apply Romans 12 to learning to know what God's will for us is because we have the mind of Christ. We can't understand God's will without the mind of Christ. So what is the mind of Christ? And that's what we're going to focus on during this, our last, our fifth teaching in the If, uh, if I Only Had a Brain series. We've been looking at the hope we have in Christ to achieve mental health that allows us to be outward focused. Focused on what Jesus wants, which is for the world to know him. You know, we've said many times now, if we kick God out of our heads, we'll be out of our minds. And that is reality because he is the creator of our minds, which are the most powerful things in all the universe, except for God himself, the human mind. Tonight, we close answering two questions. What is the mind of Christ? And what are the implications for us as ones who share in his mind? So the first question, what is the mind of Christ? Let's look at Philippians 2, verse 1. The answer here may surprise you and how communal it is. In Philippians 2, verse 1, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Try to catch the sarcastic tone here from Paul, which I believe it was. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not consider... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us excited and thirsty for your word. Lord, please put salt in our mouths that we would thirst for you. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and it can change our minds, which in turn will change this church, which will turn and change, will change the world. 
Lord, we thank you that this is much more than a book. You are on center stage here. Not Chris Old or Jonathan Kimball or the worship band or anything else, Lord. You are on center stage, and Lord, we thank you that you are here among us and that you want to move in each and every mind and heart. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little background first before we dive into this first question. From Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 18, we, we see Paul writing to the church at Philippi about living uh, as citizens in a community of people rescued by Christ. That is, living life as people made new by Jesus. I love the way the community is portrayed in chapter 1, verse 27. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So this communicates Paul's main point in this letter. It's the linchpin. And that is to, for the church to live out their call with unified perseverance in the, faith, in the face of unbelievable suffering and persecution. This phrase, live as citizens of heaven, is a political metaphor. Did you know that? And it's not referring to the commonwealth of Rome, but rather a heavenly one whose king is Christ, not Emperor Nero. This change in loyalty demands a change in lifestyle and a change in worldview, which in turn requires a transformation of our thinking. So what we think about matters. We have to embrace the mental disciplines that we've been talking about through this series or we won't be able to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven due to the fact that what we believe is in direct correlation to what we think. We do what we think, right? We are what we think, we've said. We choose to change our negative sinful thinking into minds like Jesus together as a community so that we demonstrate that we live lives that are worthy of the gospel. The gospel must flow through a community of believers to be effective, specifically a community of people who have transformed minds. It says in verbatim, chapter 1, verse 30, we are in this struggle together to experience the transformation of our minds, to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who laid down his life for us. This like-mindedness of Christ that we possess as a community shouldn't be seen through the lens of sameness, all of us trying to be, you know, like one another. All I'd have to do tonight is ask, are the Ohio State Buckeyes the best team in football? And I'm going to get a diversity of opinions. And if you don't think they're the best, then you're in sin. You know, no, we're, we're all, we have differing opinions. We have different, uh, Kimball dresses a lot cooler than I do. Uh, but I typically smell better than he does. You know, we all have different values uh, and all of that. No, Kimball doesn't stink nearly as bad as he used to. Uh, we can thank for Christine for that. Uh, ever since he married with Christine, everything, and married Christine, everything about his life has gotten better. He would amen that. Um, but it's rather the subordinating of our selfish desires for the good of community. That's sharing the same priorities, the same unified purpose, and a common way of seeing the world. Like a philharmonic orchestra, orchestra in which all use their gifts towards the goal of blessing the crowd with the harmonious symphony. 
We see this admonition clearly in what we just read, chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Other translations say the same thing with slightly different language. Instead of the phrase, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, it words that with this phrase, vain conceit. And it comes from two Greek words, empty and glory. So empty glory, referring to people who are living lives outside of Christ that are empty. They're living for their own glory, which will be here today and gone tomorrow. When we live for our own glory, we live selfish lives. So our question, what is the mind of Christ, finds its answer in Christian community. Did you know that? It's not about just you and me changing our thinking on our own. We need each other. We need each other for our thinking to change. Did you know that? Have you noticed how when you want to stay home from home group and you decide to go anyway, your thinking changes a little bit, even though that was the last place you wanted to go on Wednesday, Thursday night? I've been there. Sorry, guys. I mean, I'm a home group leader at this church as well as being a pastor, but there are nights where I don't want to go. But I go, and there has never been a time where I haven't thought, my thinking has been transformed. Just being around other brothers and sisters. Just as Christ did uh, for us, he sacrificed for us. He laid his life down for us, and he asked us to do that within the context of our church our community, so that the world may see and believe that Jesus is Lord. You see, humility in the Roman world was seen as weak and undesirable, hardly something to be admired or imitated, and humility is the absolute key to unity. This mental transformation, this humility, must take place in us, or according to the beginning of chapter 2, we're failing to experience the love and comfort of Christ. It also says that if we know the benefits of his mercy and compassion, that is, they matter to us. We've experienced his mercy and compassion, and they matter to us, then we'll demonstrate it to our brothers and sisters. We can't treat others this way if we're not basking in the mercy and compassion of Jesus ourselves. So a Christ-transformed mind cooks in the humility of a unified community of believers. So our unity is in lockstep with the transformed mind, that is, with God-honoring thoughts. It can't happen in isolation. So it makes sense that the enemy of our souls would battle against our unity because that's, that's the pool we're going to jump in to experience mind transformation. And our biggest obstacle to unity is not legitimate differences of opinion, usually, but rather just plain, good old-fashioned, prideful self-centeredness. What that means is conflict, more often than not, is about pride more than it is about anything else. Arguing over who's right and wrong rarely gets us anywhere. There are times where you do need to speak the truth and there is right and wrong, but more often than not, when we have conflict with one another, it's because we're not truly listening in Jesus' name and we're speaking out of our own strength. It truly is love that wins the day. The mind of Christ is one that focused on winning others with sacrificial love that brings repentance. It's others-focused. It doesn't look to get a perfect zero-sum return for acts of service. That is, you do something for me, I do something to you, for something good for you. You hurt me, I hurt you. It doesn't work like that. His thoughts were about loving us for his glory's sake, not self-serving. We see that in Philippians 2, don't we, where it says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. 
That means he didn't use his equality with God the way a CEO would. Let's say a CEO is in charge of a company and she uses her power and her influence to her own gain, for her own interest, instead of that of the company's. He didn't use his equality with God. He is God. But he didn't use it in any way to leverage against us. Because Jesus was right, wasn't he? And we were wrong. We are wrong. We're, we are the sinners. We're created by him and for him, and we're the one who's broken the deal, and yet he still pursued us. We deserve to be separated from him, not have him pursue us relentlessly, unto sacrificing his own life. So when we're in conflict with one another, with other followers of Jesus, our transformed minds allow us to pursue sacrifice for our brothers and sisters instead of selfishness. If you've never been in conflict with another brother and sister, I pity you, because you know what that means? You probably haven't dug into community too much. Because when you lay your life out there on the line for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's going to get stepped on and kicked around like a soccer ball at times. And you know what? That is the doorway to sanctification, to becoming like Jesus. It's unity and not vindication or validation that is our goal. Right? We don't want to be vindicated for how we've been wronged. We don't want to be validated. Hear me, just hear my side of the story. We want unity, and we fight for it with all of our might. One day we won't have to fight for it anymore when we see him face to face, but this side of eternity, you bet your bottom dollar you will. And the more God uses this church, the more he sends us, the more unity will be a struggle. It is the issue. It's the issue. It's the reason why churches split it's the reason why there are so many walking around out there who have suffered spiritual abuse in the church because unity was not the goal. The Roman world in which and to which this letter was written would have understood this since the emperor was seen as deity and definitely would have used his position to promote his own interest. Jesus didn't use his equality with God in any way destructively or selfishly. It was his love that saved us from our sins and brought us to his heart to be his beloved children. And so our conflicts with one another are not about primarily who's right. We love as he loved us, and love covers a multitude of sins. So let us have minds transformed from ones that long for vindication and validation to ones that crave unity. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. He was beaten and bruised and broken for our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserved. Holiness requires sacrificial love pouring into outward focused thoughts that want others to experience Jesus. And you see, a lot of times we think of Jesus emptying himself and his broken body and the crucifixion as somehow him hitting the pause button on his deity. And that's not the case. Him emptying himself did not pause his divinity, but rather his sacrifice, humility, and love are part of the full revelation of his character. That God suffered in the flesh for us, taking our punishment, completed the full expression of his love. There can be no true love without brutal sacrifice, especially for those who don't deserve it. 
Jesus entered into a profound identification with our human situation when he lived and died in our world. But he wasn't abandoning his divinity, but only added his humanity. Jesus stands in solidarity with our poor state of mental health, identifying with every type of mental brokenness, all of our suffering and vulnerability, because he suffered our fate. He is God with us. And he suffered so that we could have transformed minds. But it's going to cost us unity. Unity will cost you. Some of your sweetest relationships in times where you look back and see Jesus refining you the most will be when you decided to lay your life down and not give up the need to be right and love instead. Because the mind of Christ, it says in verse 2, is a loving mind, not focused on hate or getting its own way from verse 2. In verse 6, it's a godly mind because he was God. We share that. In verse 7, a servant's mind, not looking to be served. In verse 8, a humble mind, not full of pride. And in verse 9, an exalted mind. So we've attempted to answer this first question, what is the mind of Christ? And it's seen and felt and soaked into the fabric of a healthy church. We can't do it alone. The second question is where the rubber meets the road. What are the implications of this shared mind that we have with Christ? The implications are beyond measure, to be sure. You know, and I wish, just for this talk, not because I want to lord it over you guys or be somebody special, but you know how football coaches at big schools get that, like, big, huge, like, uh, uh, what's it called, one of you football players? Those things, it's like a ladder, and you climb up, and then there's this thing you walk on, and they can, you know, watch the practice, and their way, anyway. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Okay, so I'm not going crazy. Those things do exist. That's good to know. But I wish I had it so that I could yell as loud as I could some of the things that I'm about to say because I think it is so critical. This is the linchpin in our faith. Allowing Jesus to transform our mind is the faith. It's everything. Allowing him, it starts, continues, and finishes with him transforming our minds because it affects all of our lives, every aspect of our life, rather. Science is discovering what the Bible said all along, showing us the proof that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That is, he hasn't given us thoughts that are full of fear, chaotic thoughts, but rather thoughts immersed in strength, outward-focused, and disciplined around his truth. That's what he's given us. Although the world is trying to get all of the characteristics of the mind of Christ that we just talked about from Philippians, minus the godly mind part that we mentioned, they're leaving out the author. And this creates a a dangerous mental break, a cognitive dissonance for the person pursuing mental transformation without Jesus because it lacks the author. And when we pursue self-actualization, that is trying to figure out who we are, but we do so without the truth of Jesus Christ, all that is is wishful thinking. It's positive thinking, and that works until the loved one dies. That works until you lose the job of your dreams. Then all of a sudden, you realize it's a load of crap. And it's certainly better than, you know, uh, being uh, mentally ill, but it falls short because we take out the author. He's the one who created our mind, and he's the one who created it to be healthy. But regardless of this dichotomy between secular and sacred, there's refreshing common ground as we look at breakthrough neuroscientific research confirming daily what we instinctively knew all along, for many of us. 
What you're, and that is what we're thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in our brain and body which affects our optimal mental and physical health. These thoughts collectively form our attitude, which is our state of mind, and it's our attitude and not our DNA primarily that determine much of the quality of our lives. This mind of Christ has huge implications for the believer, both confirmed by the Bible, first and foremost, that's our number one authority, but also in science. Dr. Caroline Leaf, Christian neuroscientist, says this about the mind. This state of mind is real, physical, electromagnetic, quantum, and chemical flow in the brain that switches groups of genes on or off in a positive or negative direction based on your choices and subsequent reactions. Scientifically, this is called epigenetics. Spiritually, this is the enactment of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. The brain responds to your mind by sending these neurological signals throughout the body, which means that your thoughts and emotions are transformed into physiological and spiritual effects, and the physiological experiences transform into mental and emotional states. The reason why this matters, Dr. Leaf's observations matter, is because she demonstrates both scientifically and biblically that we are in control of our thoughts that it impacts our spirits, our souls, and our body, and even impacts the generations. Do you realize that our thoughts today will be passed on genetically, negative thoughts or positive, whatever state of mind we're in when we have children, we pass that on genetically to the generations. Now, it can be reversed. That's the good news. The mind can heal, but we pass it on. Some great news she also shares is that we were originally wired for love and optimism because we're created in the image of God. Just look at a child from a halfway decent home. They're optimistic, right? They're happy. They're full of love. They want to give you stuff and hug you and all of that. Fear, anxiety, and stress and all the rest are learned behaviors that come because we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy. Sin in the form of thoughts, which gives birth to destructive behavior. But with the mind of Christ, we can rewire our brains to become like Jesus. God, in his grace, he even gives us new brain cells birthed every day. Did you know that? He does that as a common grace for every single human being so that we can renew our thoughts. He gives us brand new brain cells every day. It reminds me of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. It says, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind to become more like Jesus because we've been physically wired to change our thinking. We've been given the physical tools. And then in Christ, we've been given the spiritual tools, haven't we? It's huge because we have access to the mind of Christ and the ability to change our thoughts both physically and spiritually. We have the tools we need to learn how to get chaos that's in our minds under control. We don't have to walk around in guilt and condemnation. We can wire those toxic thoughts out that we brought in because of sin, and we can change them. We can overcome feelings of rejection and hurt. We don't have to worry about things that are out of our control. We don't have to play the victim of things we know we shouldn't be doing. 
We can bring balance back to our overthinking and overanalyzing minds. We can overcome and control depression and anxiety. We don't have to keep living in the past. We can break free from it. We can be happy and filled with peace regardless of our circumstances. We can, we can even grow our intelligence to be able to better serve God. When people say, well, I can't understand the Bible, don't say that. You can. You can, you can learn how to study and understand the Bible. Studies also show that when we multitask, when we hurry, hurry sickness, it actually damages our brain and makes us sick. We were made to study and focus deeply on one thing at a time. And when we talk to someone to do nothing else, to get off of our phones and look at them in the eye and engage, it's good for our minds and it's good for our soul. Our choices of what to think matters. The mind of Christ transforms and heals us, and not just mentally, we've said through this series. There are awesome physical implications for Christ followers pursuing the mind of Christ. Outstanding research has recently been done by Dr. Gail Ironson, a leading mind-body medicine researcher and professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Miami. Hope it's not the Miami we just beat the pants off yesterday. She found that the most significant factor that made a difference in the healing of those with HIV was their choice to believe in a benevolent and loving God, especially if they also choose to have a personal relationship with a benevolent and loving God. Her study ran over four years, and her determination of healing was based on the decrease of their viral load, the amount of the AIDS virus in a sample of blood, and the increased concentration of helper T cells. The higher the concentration, the more the body is able to fight disease. She found that those who didn't believe in God, didn't believe that God loved them, rather, lost helper T cells three times faster. Their viral load also increased three times faster, and their stress levels were higher, with damaging amounts of cortisol flowing. Dr. Ironson summarizes her position, her research, by saying, if you believe God loves you, it's enormously protective, even more protective than scoring low for depression or high for optimism. A view, of a, beloved, a view of a benevolent God is protective, but scoring high on the personalized statement, God loves me, is even stronger. Science is confirming what the Bible's been saying all along. When God tells us that he came to give us life and to give us more abundantly, to give it to us more abundantly, he meant it. He gave us the tools. It doesn't mean that if we believe truth, all of our physical illnesses are going to be healed doesn't mean that, but it does mean a lot of our illness is a result of our thoughts, that our thinking is incredibly destructive, or negative thinking is incredibly destructive. From a negative perspective, research in neuroscience and medicine shows that somewhere between 75 on the conservative end to 95% on the high end of mental, physical, and behavioral illness are a product of the thought life. To be clear, much of the illness we experience is because of poor lifestyle choices, addictions, and those kind of things. These come from poor mental health, from unhealthy, ungodly thoughts. Another shocking find uh, for the, the Center for uh, Research on Cancer and the World Health Organization has concluded that 80% of cancers are due to lifestyle, not, not genetic. And this is a conservative number. And we know poor lifestyle choices come from what? Poor thoughts. Just look at Proverbs 4 where the author is speaking to the power of God's word. He says in Proverbs 4 verse 20, 
My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. God gave us a book because his book transforms us. It changes us. It changes the world. We can take captive our thoughts and sow truth into them, and everything else changes. A transformed mind of Christ, this is what I'm guessing, to take our thoughts captive, it takes a measly 10 to 15 minutes a day. Negative thoughts come in, we deal with them, we take them captive, we bring God's truth. 10 to 15 minutes a day would be my guess. We're not victims. We can control our thoughts. We can control our reaction, which will in turn change our mood, which will in turn change our behavior. It'll transform our church and transform the world with the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. 10 to 15 minutes a day. Research shows that thoughts repeated 21 days become habits. 61-day thought patterns become, inst become uh, instinct. That is, they become natural lifestyle, like breathing. 61 days. So you and I can be rewired mentally by the Holy Spirit if we'll take hold of this disciplined mind that is already ours in Christ. We can drastically increase the quality of our lives in under a month and be new people in two months. New people. Isn't Jesus awesome? When we come to him, he changes us quickly. If we'll just give, us our, give him our whole lives and stop fighting him and believe that we're going to plant our lives on the anchor of God's truth and let it grow us and up new thoughts that are not anxious, that are not worried, that are not lustful, that are not full of rage, and he'll change us to become like himself. Remember the three steps of changing a thought that we've discussed throughout this series. It's painfully simple, but man, it's hard to apply because we have, we're in a battle, aren't we? First, identify the lie. Write down your negative thoughts. We need to train our minds to spot them because we're so used to negative thoughts swirling around our minds. Write them down. Do it. Don't take that thought off. Write it down. Don't take that thought off tomorrow when it comes. Write it down. It could be, for instance, that you get depressed and anxious during a particular season of the year where you've experienced many losses or rejections. Write down your feelings. Write down the lie. It might be something like this. I'm never going to get better. I have to protect myself by isolating during this season or I'll get hurt again. Many people experience that maybe around Christmas, don't they? Second, identify the truth. Continuing with our example, it might be from what we just read in Proverbs 4, where it points to God's word saying, let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. So you would say to yourself, again with our example, I'm not believing the lie. The truth is God's word is gonna heal my mind. I will be with God's people during this season and I will not live in fear. I'm not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna isolate. I'm gonna be at home group every week. I'm not going to isolate. I'm going to be at church every week. I'm going to be hanging out with other believers having nacho libre parties. And somehow God's going to do something cool in that and bring, there's going to be joy in it. The joy of Christ. It doesn't have to always be, you know, stuff like this. Get to know some people in this church and hang out with them. Do you know the group that has more fun in this church than anybody else? Uh, our awakened sisters who have uh, been following Jesus for a little longer. Let's have you step up. Or stand up. You awaken sisters that are, yeah. Thank you, guys. 
They hang out all the time. They have so much fun together. They have too much fun. They hang out more than you college students. You should be sad about that, really sad about that. They have so much fun. And a lot of the stuff they're doing is not super serious. It's just them hanging out, going out to dinner, going to movies, make some friends in this church. Don't isolate. Get away from the computer. Put down the damn phone, okay? Put it down. Put it down. Talk with people. Engage. It's killing our minds. It's making us mentally sick because we're in such a hurry. And we, man, God forbid we have to be quiet for two seconds. God forbid we have to be a little bit bored, right? Have a day of the week or a half day of the week where you take a rest from your phone and screens. You put it down. In your house, if you have roommates, have a time of day where you say, the phone, we're done with the phone. All right, we're going to actually talk to one another with our faces pointing at each other. Not this, okay? Guys, and I know it sounds like I'm coming down on you. I'm not. I'm, I'm just as bad as probably any of you, honestly. It is a struggle. There's so much entertainment out there. There's, it, it really is hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm not poking fun. I'm right there with you trying to uh, um, walk with Jesus just like you are and put my phone down as well. Third, act on it. And this is important. That might mean, again, with our example, going to home group when you feel like isolating or getting some accountability from a believer you trust to handle this year differently, taking specific actions to get better, not simply reliving and submitting to the same fear and hopelessness every year when that season rolls around. Act. Act. Take the thought captive. That is, identify the negative emotion, the lie. Pray truth over it, act. 10 to 15 minutes a day. 21 days, you'll have more joy. 61, you'll be a new person. Science has shown that. See, the difference between us and the world is we do this for 61 days. We are truly not only, you know, we know that uh, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come. We know that's true. Many of us don't really believe that's true because we're still wallowing in the same stuff that the world does. But 61 days, and we are walking in our newness. Okay? 61 days. Imagine what you would look like, I would look like. Imagine what this church would look like. The world's just, it's just positive thinking. All it is is just a malaise. It's a veneer. I mean, it's, it's not real. But this is real. God designed our brains like this so that we could have a second chance and a fifth chance and a 20th chance and a four millionth chance to become like him. Um, I want to close with the most powerful testimony I have ever witnessed on this area of mental health. Kyle Atwood is one of my very good friends. I consider him like family. And uh, uh, he went through a very difficult season where he was struggling with mental health. And I thought we were going to lose him. I thought we were going to lose him. He's our treasurer now. He's married. He's doing awesome. He, he couldn't be here tonight. He's uh, on a weekend away with his, his wife, Greta, but he was willing to uh, uh, share his testimony via video, so we're going to watch that now. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kyle, and I'm going on a journey of sharing uh, my struggle with mental health uh, issues. Um, I found myself a little over two years ago um, just in a really dark spot 
um, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. In my case, um, it was a relationship um, that did not end well and um, ended in what the world would say was a failure, a failed engagement, in fact, and um, it really took a toll on me. My greatest driver in life was fear of failure. Um, it what led me to a lot of my success, vocationally, um, even ministry for the Lord, was I just didn't want to fail people. Um, and so the moment I did, um, it crippled me, like literally. It was bad. Um, I, I went from um, what many would say um, was on top of things um, to little by little um, would let things slip through the crack and, and I was letting people down. It took its toll on me um, where I didn't sleep for three days. Um, that was the turning point where physically um, in, the, in the span of two months I went from 180 pounds healthy, active to 210. Um, all the way down to 150 in a span of two months. Uh, spiritually, I, I felt like I let God down um, and didn't know what to do about it, didn't know how to grapple with that. I spent so many days thinking about how did I get here? And every day I did that, it was wasting a day of getting out of it, of making changes in my life, of seeking help. Um, and so the biggest day of healing for me came when I knew I needed to seek help. And for me, that came with hospitalization, where I could get day in, day out counseling all day, every day. And so I spent a week there, twice actually. So the biggest thing I got out of there was the whole cognitive behavioral therapy mindset of thoughts, feelings, behavior um, is taking every thought captive and making obedient to Christ. And so when I have a fear of failure, I could very well have not done a good job. Um, but that doesn't define me. It helped strengthen me. And, and so I started to put these tools into place day by day, just got better. Um, not because I did anything magical, I just choose to live in the forgiveness that Christ gave me and choose to see those who were there to support me. And so when I started realizing that sharing my story, sharing what was really happening, allowed for light and truth to pour in, um, it became fuel to my healing. Um, fuel to, to just steps forward. Um, and the moment I stopped fearing judgment, I actually stopped feeling judgment. I also meditated on scripture. It started with one verse, then another, then another. Um, and there was, there was just so many key moments of healing. Um, and so I, I share this story not, um, not to seek um, pity or, or um, any sort of uh, worry about how I'm doing today but just to say I'm, I'm willing and ready to, to come alongside um, anyone that's struggling because I know there's hope in Christ. I know there's hope in your story. Um, there's a beautiful ending to mine, um, the way the Lord has brought me now. Um, it, it goes beyond measure of His grace and His love for me, and I know He extends that same love to all of us. And so fight the good fight of the faith and know that you're not alone, um, and talk to someone, talk to anyone because the Lord will use it. Uh, I thought that was so good. It took a lot of courage for Kyle to share this in front of all of you. He is an example of taking thoughts captive. And I don't know how many times he's called me or texted me, oftentimes uh, Kimball as well, sharing a prayer request or sharing a struggle 
that he was going through. And you know what it started for him? I mean, he was on the, you know, he was on the far end of mental illness. Most of you are not where he's at. I mean, he was really struggling. It started with, for him deciding today I'm not going to lay in bed all day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to call Chris, hang out with Chris, or, or whatever the thing was, small steps. For you to be healed from that porn addiction, from that depression, from that anxiety, from that constant need to be entertained, that body shaming, that unhealthy relationship you're in, you've got everything you need right here. Nothing needs to change in your circumstances. In fact, if your circumstances get easier, you probably won't feel your problem enough. It's probably God's grace that's maybe keeping your tough circumstances the same. Lean on this. You don't have to know every single verse. Kyle said it started for him with what? One verse. One verse. And you start meditating on that. When thoughts come in, no, I'm not an idiot. Maybe you feel like, that. man, I'm just, I'm not as smart as these other people around me. Or, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm disgusting. Look at me. Whatever. Who does God say I am? He said he knit me together in my mother's womb. I choose to believe that. When fear and anxiety come, he, Lord, you tell me in 2 Timothy that you haven't given me a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I don't feel that way, but I know it's true. And then we act, we walk out in obedience. You know, our thoughts, there's so many. I, I forget the, the stat, but millions and millions of thoughts just come in and out, in and out, in and out every day. So it just seems like this endless waterfall. So it doesn't feel like it matters, does it? Even as I give this series, sometimes it seems like, well, thoughts aren't a real thing. Tell me to go and do something for Jesus. This is it. The doing comes out of transformed thoughts. Okay, and he wants to do this in your life. There, there's nothing magical that needs to happen. He's given you all the grace you need right here in this book, and he's given you the Holy Spirit if you know Jesus, and he's given you a community of believers. This is the most mentally ill generation that we've ever had in this country. And the enemy is trying to take you and if he can't kill you, he wants to make you mentally sick and miserable and need this thing to get through 15 minutes. You were made for more. You were made to be whole. You were made to be healed. You were made to be full of joy. You were made to be full of power. You were made to be full of love. And you were made to do great things for God. But it, he, the Holy Spirit gives us the choice. He will not force us. Uh, at this time, we're going to uh, end our service, but we're going to have an opportunity to pray up here. There's going to be a prayer team up here. What you say is confidential. I want to encourage you to either come up for prayer. I know the Lord is stirring some of you. We've been praying. A lot of people have been praying for tonight. The Lord is stirring some of you to, to make a turn and make this choice to take your thoughts captive. Make this 10 to 15 minute a day choice or maybe you're being called tonight to unity. You're in a conflict and you want renewed focus and, and obedience in an area of conflict. Or you're struggling with an addiction, which is the product of thoughts, right? Or depression or anxiety or whatever. 
want you to come up, get prayer, or maybe you feel more comfortable praying with somebody around you who you know and uh, feel comfortable with and who loves Jesus. So let's do that now. Let's not let this moment pass. So prayer team, you guys can come on up. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that we have the mind of Christ. Even as I say that, Lord, so often it doesn't feel true. It almost feels laughable, Lord, but it's because we have been so damaged and knocked around by sin. And thank you, Lord, that the change of mind really doesn't take all that long. Uh, Lord, it, it can happen very, very quickly if we will just submit and obey you. You have so much for us, Lord. Thank you for your patience as we kick and scream and fight you on these truths. But thank you that in your grace you, you pursue us and you promise to complete what you've started in us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.